Blog Talk Radio. Yay. <laughs> I love that feeling. 
Well, you know, again, like Susan said, we're so honored to have you with us, and and just about everybody we know, um, people in our churches, people in our uh, reading circles are, are excited because they they all have read your books, and um, they they you're just like household names, so it's just great to have you here. Um, I, I noticed that you've had an interesting journey into becoming a best-selling writer. Um, you, you've worked in ministry, in music, in construction. Was writing always your dream career? Yeah, I think I was always meant to be a writer. You know how it feels. You uh, just don't feel happy or fulfilled or like you're really complete unless you're writing. And I felt that way all my life. I tried a lot of different things, but the the peace and the joy were there when I was writing. And so I, I finally figured that out. Mm. So it seems like um, even though you've had your hand in many different things, uh, it's something that you've kind of you, you've been called to do, and so you're only happy when you're doing, uh, mostly happy when you're doing that. That's right. Well, you, you're happy when you're doing what God made you to do. And I, I wrote. I was always telling stories when I was a kid, and I'd get the neighborhood kids under the back porch and tell them stories, <laughs> and I banged out stories on my mom's tower portable typewriter. And uh, it's like, I don't know, it's one of those little manual typewriters that comes in the little suitcase, and you you pop it open, the lid flops up, and then there's a typewriter sitting in there. Yeah. So I, I remember I that. that and, uh, and then I used to draw comics up in my room. and So I was a chronic storyteller, uh, I guess. <laughs> I guess I should have gotten a clue about it earlier. That's what I was supposed to do. Well, yeah, you know, I'm I'm reading uh illusion at the moment and i have to say i am so impressed it's uh it's quite it starts out with quite a bang um may i read the first sentence i always like to read the first sentence and figure out if i'm going to want to read the rest of a book and your first sentence is just awesome um it pulls the reader in right away. Would you would you mind if I if I wrote, read it's actually the first sentence is only three words, but it's the first uh paragraph which is just two sentences. Would you mind if I read that? Oh go ahead. Go ahead. Oh thank you. Okay, so this is chapter one of Illusion by Frank Peretti. And you can find Frank Peretti at Frankperetti dot com and his last name is spelled P E R E T T I as if you didn't know. But um, here it is, chapter one. Mandy was gone. She went quietly, her body still, though the raging pain of the burns could only have been eased by her loss of consciousness. Wow. What a <laughs> wow. I was like, oh, well, there's no no question here. I'm going to be reading the rest of the book, and it's quite a sizable novel. I'm usually a short book reader. <laughs> I need. I, I I usually stay in children's books. No, not really. But um, but this is quite a lovely start to a, a story. Can you tell us a little bit about how you um how you came up with this vision, this scene in your head, and what what spurred you on to writing this story? Well, let's see, first of all, the way I write, I always, of course, try to raise a big question or something at the beginning to pull the reader in to get them interested. Mm-hmm. And Now, here's an interesting twist on this. I killed a hero in the first sentence. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that's that's going to bring a, a question for sure. Uh, this, of course, is a, well... On one level, of course, it's a love story. Different kind of love story. Yeah. Usually a love story involves two people who have never met each other, who uh, meet each other and go through a process of falling in love and overcoming obstacles, and by the end of the story, they're together. Yeah. Uh, this one is a story about two people, that Dane and Mandy, they've been a magic act for 40 years. They've been happily married and in love for 40 years, and then right Bam, right there at the beginning of the book is when they are separated by death. There's a terrible car accident, and Mandy dies a terrible, fiery death in the, in the car. And uh, so you start with that, and then as the story progresses, Dane, of course, goes to, he retires. 
he moves to Idaho, buys a ranch, tries to rebuild his life and get over the fact that Mandy is gone. He doesn't have her anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, in the meantime, we you haven't gotten to this part yet, have you? Or well, I'll, I'll recap. I'm not going to spoil the whole story, but uh, yeah, don't don't tell us the whole story. It's amazing. I am it, I'm I'm moving swiftly through this book, which is always a pleasure. Sometimes you don't, and you know, yeah, it's kind of a, a more difficult. But you're always happy by the end of a book. But this is just take. I'm on a roller coaster. Oh, good, good. Yeah, it's lovely. You see, yeah. you've gotten to the part where Mandy. We go back when she was a girl, 19 years old in the 1970s, going to college, and suddenly, bam, she wakes yeah. up and she's 40 years in the future. Now she's a 19-year-old college girl from 1970 who suddenly finds herself living in 2010. And uh, so now you have this weird time warpy thing going on, which is the sci-fi mysterious element in the book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, then, of course... What the inevitable has to happen. Uh, Dane, 60 years old, mourning the loss of his wife, meets up with Mandy, who is 19 year olds, 19 years old, and is the spitting image of the girl he met and fell in love with and married 40 years ago. And so, whew, now we take it from there. <laughs> oh man, is it good? That is definitely something very unique and. Um, Definitely adds that intrigue in it because when you when you set it up like that, I I, I know for myself. I'm pretty sure Susan feels the same way. I just have to find out what happens, and I really hope that it's at the very end that it's all going to come together because I don't want to, you know, feel the resolution until the very end. So that's I'm really looking forward to it. Um, now, Frank, I wanted to ask a question because I saw something very interesting in your bio. Um, your first book, This Present Darkness, and this is according to your website, it says it sat on the store shelves mostly unnoticed, but then two years later it really took off and became a bestseller. Could you tell us about what happened? Isn't that interesting? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it it was published in 1986, and I was working at a ski factory to make a living. And... Um, Oh, I'd call the publisher every every month. I'd go into the locker room there at the factory, and there's a payphone on the wall. And I'd call the publisher, and I'd get the, the last month's sales figures. And we were doing, oh, 40, 50 copies. I mean, it was just trickling out the door. And I was thinking, I'm going to be working in this factory forever. I'm never going to get out of here. <laughs> About a year later, the strangest thing. Uh, I think it may have even been January. I called, and Rick Pritikin said to me, he said, well, Frank, we had a good month last month. We sold 4,000 copies. And, Whoa, 4,000 copies. I called him the next month. We sold about 30,000 copies. Wow. And then wow. the next month, well, we sold about 60,000. I mean, it just kept going up and up. Um it's like a word of mouth. People just started finding out about it and telling each other and passing it around. And Amy mm-hmm. Grant uh, uh, plugged it and was excited about it. And Michael W. Smith was excited about it. And so they gave their, you know, celebrity endorsement to it. And wow. I, uh, it was it was just really wild. Within oh man, I suppose a year from that point, maybe a year and a half. It had reached uh, over a million copies sold. Mm. And Crossway Books didn't have enough printing presses of their own to print the demand. They had to farm out to other printing houses to print the books to, cause, to meet wow. the demand. It was it was really wild. Nobody had ever right. seen that in Christian fiction before. Oh, is that right? I know I wasn't aware of that. That is very interesting information. So you were a first. As as a, a phenomenon for this kind of selling power for Christian fiction. Well, I, I guess that's how it turned out. And so, you know, a lot's been said. Well, oh, he's the father of Christian fiction. Well, I don't know about that. It's just that, you know, there were plenty of pioneers before me. But uh, for some reason, I guess I I not I the Lord Himself in His sovereign will use this book to punch open the door of opportunity for all kinds of other fiction writers, and fiction became a viable product. 
Wow. Well, you know, I want to get back to illusion, and and you had mentioned when when um, and I and I don't want to cut that point off short, but we will get back to it. But I I love this book, <laughs> so I want I want to I want to kind of stay in it because. Um, we have a way of asking questions. We'll go back and forth if you've noticed. And and when we, you were talking about illusion, then it was Joshua's turn, and I was like, "Darn it, I want to ask one more <laughs> about illusion." Oh, it's just such a great book. Um, I just absolutely loved how you transitioned the uh, scene where she's in the seventies as a college student and with her girlfriends. You, the transitioning, your technique in transitioning her into the future was spectacular. Oh, that was I was capt- Wasn't that amazing? I was captivated. Um, how how many versions did that go through? I'm asking as a writer. Did you um, look at it and go, "Oh, that's not quite right," and more had to have happened, or did you just get it in the first go? Oh, I I I, I always write it out as I feel it, but then of course the next day. There's always the next day you go back and you look at what you've done. And, uh, mm-hmm. I know I, I worked at that a little bit because I wanted to make sure that the timing worked. It's a real intuitive thing, isn't it? You got mm-hmm. uh, you don't want to go too fast and you don't want to drag it and you got to keep it intriguing. And uh, I didn't know if I should have put a, a big flash or a lightning bolt or a jerk. I think all I did really in terms of a punctuation mark of marking the change in time was I made the tree move. She's sitting against the tree. You made and, the tree uh, move, but you also, oh, it was beautiful. Her That uh, napkin or, or a piece of fabric fell over her face. Remember that? That was amazing. Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, uh, oh, it was so good. Suddenly, she's all she sees in her peripheral vision is the uh, the pattern of that hospital gown she's wearing. Yes. And, uh, you know, she was wearing jeans and a top and <laughs> what happened to all that. So, and I wanted to work from the, you know, the really small um, perception real close to her and work out from there. So she discovers kind of uh, in outward layers uh, her world. First she looks at herself and what her own sensory inputs are, and then she starts to notice the environment around her, and then she starts to interact with it. And You know, you kind of work your way outward. That that was an amazing uh, way to do it, and I when I was reading that chapter, uh, I was so tight into her point of view that I mean I, I know that you must have just had yourself completely in her mind because of the way she perceived things, um, and so for me as a reader, um, I really appreciated that because it put me right there. But for me as a writer, I, I doubly appreciated that because I thought this is such you know great writing. Um, now, since Susan would like to stay on the topic of, of the book, <laughs> I do have some questions about the book, even though I have a lot of other questions, too. Um, is it true that um, Illusion is the first book that you've written, a new book that you've written in about six or seven years? And if so, can you tell us about that interval in between? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, let's see. What's not, it's about seven years, I think. You know, I'm going to have to sit down and actually count it someday, but the number I get is, is seven. Well, I spent two years writing Illusion, so that knocks it down to five. What was I doing in those years? I was dabbling in the movies. I was doing screenplays and, uh, you know, hobnobbing with producers and trying to get something going there. And I took a whole bunch of classes and everything on acting and directing. And and uh, anyway, yeah, I spent five years trying to get something going in the movies. And now I've come back from that sorrier and wiser. And I figure, you know, I think I'll go back to writing books. At least then I can get something done. And there will only be one cook in the kitchen. That's me. So, uh, filmmaking is a—it's a special calling, and it entails a whole lot of people and a whole lot of money. And uh, well, you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained. But uh, I'm ready to go ahead and be a novelist again. <laughs> well, um, do you, do you know? I mean, I don't know if it's something you can even talk about, but if um, are there any plans for Illusion to become a movie? Because it looks like it would be a great movie. Yeah. Well, Illusion would be a tremendous movie. I mean, it's just got so many wonderful visuals, and the uh, the the story of the characters trying to find each other again is just really cool. I think, even if I say so myself, I mean, oh, I, I like the book, but uh, I think they make a great movie. Absolutely. 
But, I mean, whew, uh, well, let's see if anybody wants to and if they have the money and if they have the vision, too. Because mm-hmm. uh, sometimes some producers, they have the money, but they don't really understand the vision of the story. They don't really know what the story is about. So their movie ends up being something entirely different than the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I so agree with that, and I would think that you would want this to be just perfect because it's such a an extremely well thought out and, um, like you said, visual story. Um, I was I had waited and waited to go to extremely loud and incredibly close because of the book. The book was so good. And um but they did such a fantastic job with the movie that I was pleased that I finally watched it. So I can understand where you might want to be really involved in this process for this particular yeah. book. Now, do you have some sort of say as in it in I suppose this would be a contractual thing that you could say I have full um, creativity or, or I'll be the creative director or something as far as what is going to actually end up in the movie? Oh, one can really hope and wish that would turn out that way. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a few contracts where I had a lot of creative control. I've had a few contracts where uh, it was more of a token title they gave me just so they could get my name on the bottom line there you know uh-huh. well, well we'll make you a creative consultant or you know something <laughs> like that then they never call you you know <laughs> yeah they go off to a foreign country make the movie and you never hear from them so uh, you know it's oh wow you so have to just... be so careful uh yeah. and and you know i have to have the attitude that i don't really care if it's made into a movie or not I have to be satisfied with the book. Otherwise, it's easy, you know, to get all gaga. Ooh, they're going to make a movie of my book, and mm-hmm. and you're so under this uh, spell that um, oh, some horrendous things can happen to your work. Well, would you ever consider producing a book yourself, producing the film for a book yourself? Oh yeah, well, I'd love to be on board to do that. I. I feel like that's part of what God told me to do since I was a kid. I mean, I just, uh, I wanted to be another Walt Disney. And uh, the the storyteller part, that that came through great. But the uh, other aspects of it, like making a film or television, you know, something like that, that has yet to happen. And, hey, I I serve a very powerful God. He he can Mm -hmm. do what he wants. And, uh, well... He is God and I am His, and so I'll let Him call the shots. Wow, I I totally agree with that philosophy, and you know, especially when you um, said earlier on that you know you're you're doing what you're what you're called to do, and it just reminds me of my life verse, which is Ephesians two ten, and it says that we're we're God's uh, handiwork, and we're created in Christ Jesus to do the good work that He has created, that He has prepared for us in advance to do, and just to me, you know, I've gone through several different hats. I've worn several different hats in my life, too, and I don't think I've ever been happier than I am now being a writer because I do also, like you, uh, Frank, I also feel like I'm I'm called to do this as well in my life. Now, I love the fact that you're a musician and a worship band leader because I'm also a musician and I've also uh, been a worship leader in my church as well. Um, is there any connection for you between the between music and writing? Yeah, as a matter of fact. There's uh, uh, writing, uh, storytelling, and music both involve emotion and tempo and texture and feeling. Uh, the same intuitive and creative resources you put into music, you put into your writing. Um, I'll sit there before my computer, you know, and sometimes it's almost like I'm a conductor leading a piece of music. It has to flow. It has to have that rhythm. It has to have the high points and the moments of rest and tension, and then it starts up again. Uh, Good writing, especially storytelling, is highly musical. Even your whole storyline from beginning to end involves uh, rests and crescendos and building and then, you know, coming to a big climax and then the resolve. you You could just about score... A story on a musical staff with uh, you know, uh, guitar and uh, 
and polka and pianissimo and all that other Italian stuff, <laughs> <laughs> and texture it out. So it's the same creative source that gives you that intuition for the whole emotional and spiritual side of what you're doing. So true. Well, uh, you know, um, Joshua Graham is also a uh, cellist, and uh, maybe he would like to respond to that question. Oh, for that, well, re- that answer, I should say. <laughs> no, I totally agree with that because um, that, I, I see it the same way, and uh, it's just delightful to hear another writer who sees the same, you know, who, who is like-minded about that. Because, um, you know, when it was, especially if you look at say a Beethoven symphony or something like that, and yeah. there's so much of the the structure and the rise and the fall of the emotional impact, the the, the tension, the resolution, it, it kind of mirrors the same thing, and also in the music of Bach. So. That's, now, you, you're, the way you describe it, Frank, it, it sounds like you have some classical music training, too. Or what, what instruments do you play? Well, I don't have any classical music training, but I love to listen to it okay. because of precisely the kinds of things you're talking about, the, the beauty, the majesty, the, the tension and release, and uh, the, the way it makes your spirit soar when you hear great music. Now... Uh, on the other end of the spectrum. Well, it's not totally the other end of the spectrum. I think rock music is the other end of the spectrum. <laughs> but because uh, rock music is very, very um, aggressive, very pushing in your face. You know, it has a real attitude. I don't play rock music, but I I do play. <laughs> I play bluegrass music. Oh, uh, I play the five string banjo. I was in a bluegrass band for about nine and a half years. And now I'm learning uh, the classical guitar uh, and learning jazz and a little bit of Spanish. And I just love that stuff because the classical guitar for me is such a gentle, emotional instrument. I I love holding that thing and feeling the strings under my fingers and the, the notes vibrating against my body. You know, the guitar just sings. It's... it's um, <laughs> It's really a wonderful experience. It's just uh, the, the production of beautiful music and uh, learning all the chords and improv and uh, all of that stuff. And I, I like to do that. I, I really got serious about guitar when I started leading the worship because my particular worship team didn't have a pianist. They didn't want to play piano. And, and so I had to do a lot of guitar work to provide background music and uh, segues and things like that. So... Uh, you know, I think I always wanted to play the guitar. I'm glad I finally got around to it. Oh, that's so great. I had a friend who was a classical guitarist. Um, he was in school perpetually, and <laughs> and he uh, he was magnificent. And I think what is so uh, appealing about the classical guitar is that it does start out, it starts out very gentle, but then it rises, much like a story does, doesn't it? I mean, the, the classical guitar, guitar and the music that um, is played on the classical guitar is very much like the rise and fall. The the beginning is very smooth and it lifts and lifts and rises and then we come to this moment that is just so extreme and then we have this drifting off and it's just like storytelling. So I can see where you would love the classical guitar. Mm-hmm. All the elements are there. All the, It's the same feeling. I feel the same way playing the guitar as I feel when I'm writing. Uh, on an emotional and spiritual level, because that's the way God made it. So it's a wondrous thing. It is a wondrous right. thing. It's it's fabulous. And I want to ask you, you um, you have worked in ministry. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your ministry? Both Joshua and I and many of the listeners are Christians, and um, we would love to hear about your work in the ministry. Oh, well, I was born... In the church. Matter of fact, I was conceived in the church. Uh, oh. <laughs> I'll explain. My mom and dad pastored a church up in Canada, and they lived in the basement apartment. That's oh wow. That's how that happened. But uh, yeah, I grew up in the Assemblies of God. I was a pastor with my dad for five years, and uh, ministry for me is where you find it. Uh, it's kind of what the Lord says. You know, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And, Mm-hmm. And so I've been in youth ministry, I've been in music ministry, I've been in pastoral ministry. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you this 
by being a pastor for five years, that was what it took to tell me I'm not cut out to be a pastor. <laughs> so, man, that is one special calling, and uh, that's not for me. But I, I look at myself as kind of a equipper, I guess, in my writing and in my speaking. I just do whatever I can to build and equip the body of Christ and just uh, help them to, to grow, give them what they need to, to stand on a firmer foundation in their Christian walk. You know, it's so interesting because um, my father, you and I have so many parallels. My father was also a, a pastor, and he's uh, 84 years old now, and he's uh, retired from his the church that he founded, but he's actually now flying all over the globe uh, preaching and, and teaching and planting churches. And um, I just hope that when I'm his age, <laughs> I can just sit up and, and, and drink a cup of coffee without any problem. But... Um, you know, the thing about what you're doing right now uh, is you're reaching millions of people, maybe not from a pulpit, but from from your from your writing desk by by your written word. And I just think that uh, ministry in general, you know, that how we experience faith comes in two different w- forms. One is that one of them is the revealed word. You know, and sometimes when you hear it, your faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God, and also uh, from the written word because a lot of times. You know, I, I minister to by uh, by books that I read, and you know they can be fiction books written by writers such as yourself, or they could be nonfiction books. But I just think it's wonderful that you're you're fulfilling what God has called you to do, and and touching so many lives at the same time, uh, because I guess that's what God has created you to do to to affect lives in a positive way. Um, Frank, could I ask you a question? Uh, there's another question I wanted to ask. Um, and it's something I'm sure some of our, a lot of your fans who are listening might want to know about. Um, you co-authored the book House with Ted Decker, another yeah. big Christian, big name Christian writer. Um, could you tell us a little bit about what the process would be like for two best-selling authors to write a, a, a book together? I mean, did one of you outline and the other one write the actual prose? Or, if, if you don't mind me asking. <laughs> Well, essentially, we didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> um, it, it, I think if two authors are going to write together, they really do need to get together first and figure out, okay, who's where are the strong points? Um, who's going to do what? What's the process going to be? And uh, we didn't really do that. Uh, Ted wrote the whole thing first, and then I was supposed to rewrite it. And, well, by the time we got to that point, uh, he was already committed to what he had already written. And uh, and I hated it. <laughs> and so we we had to work out some compromises and so forth. But um, Ted's a <laughs> – the guy's a writing machine. I, I'm amazed at how creative he is. He has an amazing imagination. And he's a real top-notch in his genre. That was another one of the problems was he has his particular genre and uh, and slants, you know, toward the really imaginative and the bizarre and the you know the Ted Decker kind of thing. And I was at a point in my life where I was heading more toward introspection and contemplation and really developing characters and, and exploring uh, deeper, uh, more abstract themes. I suppose. Uh, well. Illusion's an example of the direction I was going. And uh, so I was trying to resurrect House and raise it up to a more uh, introspective, uh, metaphorical level, I suppose. I, I don't know. And uh, and Ted was uh, pretty well bent on lots of edginess and action and, you know, people getting shot and cut up and... <laughs> You know, stuff like that. Ugly stuff. So yeah, it's it's a really ugly book. Uh it's it's an ugly genre, okay? Uh I don't say that to be derogatory, it's just uh that's the the genre. But anyway, uh it ended up uh I just uh <laughs> I pretty much wrote the first six chapters. Um I said, Ted, okay, what do you need? Uh, and he says, Well just get my characters into the basement. And I'll take it from there. So I got the characters into the house, and I got them into the basement, and then I handed it over to Ted, and he finished it. So uh, now, that's not the best way to write a book together. <laughs> but that's 
So I think too often it was a good. I, I mean, it seemed like a good idea. Well, Decker's uh, he writes thrillers and he's doing really. You know, he's a big author and Peretti's a big author and we should get them together to write a book. It'll be a big <laughs> book. And uh, <laughs> no. Uh, oh, that's so funny. It, it, you know, it, um, it, it, yeah. go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, it, it just didn't work, and uh, so uh, interestingly enough, House is out there, and it does have. It's readers that really enjoy it. Um, it's a little outside my interest uh, realm, I think. I, I don't really care for books like that, personally. And so that's where I was left hanging. <laughs> oh, well, that's so funny did. because, yeah, they, I, I, am a, I base my reading, um, it, I got my start in... Uh, literary and the classics, you know, and so I was reading at 14, I was reading Shakespeare and Edgar Allan Poe and really enjoying those, you know, and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and, and of course, they're all about, um, you know, the character. And um, so I'm I'm sensing that that's what I'm enjoying so much about your your books is, and and I I stay in literary fiction and, and mainstream and um, tend to read in my genre, which is women's fiction, but um, but just can tell that your uh, your character development in Illusion is just spot on and um, wonderful for both. And what I really enjoyed about and because you you've 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 got two distinct characters, of course, and you have two incredibly distinct voices for each of these characters. Um, the man, his age you know, now um, in the present, and then Mandy as a as a 70s girl, now, um, you know, who has been thrusted into the future, which is now the same time frame that the um, the widower is. Um, so, but to, so she's got a young voice. We hear her at very first, we know her at first as, a, as the same age as the husband's wife, of course, but we hear her voice as a young woman, and it's really, it's not, I would, don't want to say jarring, but that's the effect. It's like, wow, this is so distinct. Um, and and I just want to give you kudos for that. I, I think I'm just rambling at this point, but I just love this book. Well, that that was really fun. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's very encouraging to hear that because uh, oh. it, it was a lot of fun just playing Mandy in my head, you know, and imagining this bubbly 19-year-old, you know, just all energy, tending to talk fast and uh, just take life on uh, and make kind of foolish, naive steps at, at, at times, but just keep barreling ahead anyway. <laughs> and then yeah. here's, here's uh, Dane, who's this seasoned, uh, older, gray-haired mentor sort of figure who life just, that's one of the, themes in this book uh, you know that's why i wrote it because i'm 61 now and it is amazing how different life looks to you when you're 60 looking back yeah. uh, as from when you're 19 looking forward life looks totally different isn't that the truth you know i'm 53 and um, my husband is 65 he was so excited about his copay by the way i just have to get that out there for medicare he just got on it's two dollars I'm really jealous. <laughs> so, but anyway, you're so. And this is this is. I think that's what that's. You must have done so much work on that part of her because that's what I sense is that she's got that light, um, that sense about her, that feeling of the future and all the excitement that it it brings when you're that age. And but you also really nabbed at the time the '70s. I was a um, teenager and. Uh, in the 70s as well, and, and I thought you grabbed that, and it was just exactly like I remembered it. So I just want to say thank you for that. That was uh, such that it's such a good story, and that the setting and everything, and her mental her mental state um, as before her transition, her mental state before her transition is just like I remember. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's just like I remember too. Uh, yeah. That's what helped. I wrote. I wrote very close to my own lifespan and what I was doing during certain years. And as a matter of fact, Mandy and I just about have the same birthday. So wow! And I knew if I did it that way, I'd be able to keep track of things and I'd remember what songs were popular back then and 
what were the expressions we used back then? And uh, <laughs> you know, sometimes Mandy says, "Guy," and yeah. I, I, my editor said, "Is this a mistake? What is it? What is he saying?" <laughs> and I said, "We always used to say that back then. Yep. At least in the Pacific Northwest in the seventies, it was well, guy." <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, far out, man. Heavy duty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> what a trip. <laughs> yeah. I almost remember that. I was I was probably in uh elementary school in the in the seventies and going to middle school in the late seventies, so I kind of remember stuff like that. But you know, what I particularly liked in, in, in that scene where she's uh transitioning into the the future is how from her point of view she had no idea what a cell phone was. <laughs> just yeah. this, like t- little T V screen in the hand where it just kinda of looked at it, had a keypad on it and the guy's like swiping his finger around it. What's he doing? And she almost—I love the fact that she looks like she's almost scared of it because it's so weird and from the future. But um, so that—that that was a really nice touch. Now, um, Frank, it looks like this is a year a first of firsts for for both of us being uh, Howard Books and Simon Schuster authors. Um, and you were previously with Thomas Nelson, is that right? So what what brought about the shift in publishers, if that's okay to ask? Oh, it was just. It was just strictly business. Nothing pushing for the moment. It was just time to go with another publisher. Uh, but I, I got to really, really qualify that because I'm still with Thomas Nelson. Oh, cool. Okay. They published my other books. They're still publishing The Oath and The Visitation and uh, my Veritas series books and half of my Cooper Kids books. And So Thomas Nelson is still my publisher. It's just with this particular title we went with Howard because of Oh, I don't know. The uh, management and the mucky mucks, all the suits in the big conference rooms figured that well, that's, that's what I should do. So that's what I did. But uh, I'm still da, 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 I'm still a Thomas Nelson man too. I've got my, my there. <laughs> da, da, da. Yeah, da, da, da. and uh, <laughs> yeah, Howard is a whole new ride for me. So it, it's uh, oh, they're wonderful people. Um, oh yeah, that's a great. Getting along great. Um, you probably you might have some of the same editors and stuff that I do, and they, they were great. Did or uh, Jessica Hollyhoffers and yeah, yeah, some of those names are familiar. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, they, they they've been just really kind, professional, um, just really terrific. So um, it's been a great experience, and and I love the the cover that they did for your book. It's just it's a beautiful cover. That is a beautiful cover. I met the guy that did that. Uh, I forget where it was. It wasn't anywhere near where Howard Books is. It's amazing how things happen clear across the country. He came to a book signing. I was out signing books just uh, in March here, and uh, uh, he comes up and, says, and introduces himself. And boy, I was amazed. Uh, beautiful cover. Just yeah, like her, just really. And it, it conveys the mystery of the book because the girl is looking away from you, so you don't know who she is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's kind of the an ongoing theme in the book is Mandy also calling herself Eloise and trying to figure out who in the world she is. It's part of the mystery of the whole story because she's not even sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's got a really ethereal look, but then there's there's also light, kind of like a heavenly look, which I'm not going to say more about. But um, <laughs> but and I love the way that the title just fills the entire you know horizontal plane of the of the book. It's just really beautiful. Um, it is beautiful. Now, uh, is there anything you can tell us about the book, Illusion, uh, the creation of it or what's in it, uh, that perhaps the general public might not otherwise be privy to? Oh. Well, the one thing that folks probably don't know is that the character of Mandy began with a real girl. Oh, wow. Really? Um and uh, I'm really going to have to send her a copy of this book because uh, she inspired the character. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And I, uh, well, her name is Mandy too, um, and I won't go into the details for her, her privacy's sake. But uh, I had the chance to meet her, and I watched. She was uh, doing a talent thing, and she performed on a stage before a whole bunch of people, and. Uh, I was in a position to judge her performance, you know, one out of ten and all this, and um, I was blown away with how clever and how funny she was. And um, so now Mandy in the book, of course, grew into her own character, but she began with that 
little junior in high school that I watched <laughs> do a talent show. <laughs> wow. I thought, that gal, she had a smile you could see from the back row. It was, it was wow. But that's a little interesting piece of trivia for you. But, uh, of course, the main theme under the book, which I stayed in the, in the back, I just wanted to be sure, is, you know, all that emotion and the feeling and the meaning of the relationship, the, the whole fact that this is such a relational book, mm-hmm. that all derives from my marriage to Barb and the fact that we've been married for 40 years. And uh, and we're, I know that I am, I'm at that place, I'm 61 now, and I'm looking back over 40 years of marriage and just marveling at God's grace and the fact that Barb has been in love with me that long. And uh, there's a little scene, um, this won't spoil the book, but uh, Dane reflects on a snapshot he has in his photo album of Mandy. Uh, They're out in a public park, and she is cooking their dinner on one of those uh, little outdoor grills like you see Mm -hmm. in some public parks. That's because they were traveling, they were on the road, they didn't have a home, a roof over their heads, and she was cooking their dinner out there in the park, uh, wearing clothes that she made herself on a sewing machine that they took with them in their car and their trailer. And uh, that's from real life, because I have a picture of Barb Mm. uh, cooking our dinner out in the public park, because we didn't really have any place to live. And at that time, we weren't magicians, we were touring with with a music group. But we were as poor as church mice. <laughs> but there she was. She was only, I think she was only 19. And uh, as a matter of fact, I'd play in these uh, casinos and stuff. She wasn't even old enough to go in and hear me play. <laughs> but uh, it was interesting days way back then. And I look back on that and I think, wow, just like Dane thinks about Mandy, here's a gal that was just tenaciously devoted to me and in it for the long haul. And only the Lord God could bring me such a woman. That's beautiful. Oh, and you, that is beautiful. And that the, the dedication is to Barbara Jean, my beloved for 40 years. Only the Lord could have brought me such a woman. And that is just such a wonderful honor for your wife. What a, what a compliment and very touching and emotional. And, you know, Mr. Peretti, this has just been such a joy for me to be able to talk with you. And I know I speak... Uh, the same emotion for Joshua Graham as well, and um, just a real pleasure. And we're just so happy that you could join us this morning. And thank you for your time. Well, thank you. This has been a, this is really cool. I've never had talked with two other writers before, so it it, it brings up a whole different uh, kind of discussion and different kinds of questions. And so that was a lot of fun. It was really refreshing. Oh, thank you so much. That's an honor just for you to say that. Thank you very much, and and we hope you'll come back sometime soon because this has just been a joy. Well, I'd love to do it again. Thank you very much. Thanks, Freddie. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Wow. You know, there are a few times um, during the day when you can go, wahoo. (laughs) (laughs) This is one of them, you know. That was Um, one of my favorite Interviews I've ever done. I mean, I felt like I was just sitting there talking with, like, talking with my uncle or, yeah. or cousin or somebody. But he was so, um, you know, so friendly and down to earth, and and yet here he is, this like great international best-selling author, which who everybody pretty much knows, and that's, it was just fun. Well, and and um, just so the people that are listening in the chat room and they're listening to the the show um, in the archives in the in in the future somewhere, <laughs> um, Mr. Peretti's uh, website is www.frankperetti.com, and you can find all of his books in bookstores across the country and the world, actually, and also on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, everywhere online. Um, he's just uh, he's all over and just really worth a sit-down in, in your time if you want to have a wonderful Walk through somebody else's imagination. Walk through uh, Frank Peretti's because this is an incredible book. Illusion is his latest release, and it's quite marvelous. So oh yeah, it's a can't put down book, and it's not because yeah. it's like you know all this uh, 
like you described before, like action and people getting killed and all that type of stuff, even though it does start with an act, a car accident. But um, it, it's the characters. They just draw you in. You just want to know these people. And it just reminds me so much of uh, of the author himself. I mean, the more I speak with him, the more I like, I would love to get to know him even better. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and this is a perfect way to do that illusion because it is such a personal book. Um, uh, uh, you know, obviously he wrote it with his wife in mind. What an honor. I mean, mm-hmm. isn't that sweet? I it just is. think it's lovely. So so you all are getting to know him. Yeah, maybe fictionalized. Um, it's but a this book is written from the heart. So A know. book written from the heart, right. It's fiction, but written from the heart and, and with real people in mind. Um, so, yeah, lovely, lovely talk today. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just want to uh, wrap up. We only have a few more minutes. So um, we were just uh, honored to have Mr. Peretti on our show today, of course. And um, we'd like to thank you all for joining us on Dialogue Between the Lines. And don't forget, you can read all about Frank Peretti and at his website, frankperetti.com, and his with all of his latest news on this on his official website. And his again, his latest release is Illusion, and it's available in hardcover and audiobook, and um, and uh, which is narrated by Frank Peretti, which is incredible. And, and you heard his voice; he's just wonderful. And, and like Joshua said, it is. It's like listening to your uncle um, talk to you. So I, I can't wait to get that that uh, audiobook too. Mm-hmm. Um, a podcast of this broadcast will be available here at www.blogtalkradio.com slash dialogue. And we'd also like you to join us on our website at dialoguebtl, that's between the lines, dialoguebtl.com. And be sure to tune in next week when our guest author will be screenwriter and novelist, um, a screenwriter of Fracture, The Manchurian Candidate, and Any Given Sunday and, and The Sum of All Fears. Uh, Daniel Payne, so we're very excited to chat with Daniel Payne next week as well. Um, so for Dialogue Between the Lines, this is Susan Wingate with Joshua Graham, my favorite co-host in the world, wishing you a great week, and until next time, goodbye. Bye. Mm-hmm.